As a sales manager, you are judged by the performance of your team and you're praised when they do well. But one thing that you've not been able to figure out is how to get everyone on your team consistently hitting quota every single month. On the Snack Size Sales Podcast, we discuss the science of selling STEM. Sales leadership in the science, technology, engineering, and manufacturing fields is difficult. You will learn from sales managers just like you that will give you actionable insights and tips on how to develop as a leader and achieve your revenue targets every single month. So pop your headphones in and get ready to listen to my guests today. They will give you information and inspiration to ensure that you have actionable insights that you can put into place today. Hello, and welcome to another episode of The Science of Selling STEM. I am so excited today to have Leslie Vince with me. How are you, Leslie? Oh my gosh, I'm so great. I, I feel like I'm, we're meeting royalty here. We're finally putting faces to names after all this time. I know, we've been following each other for so long on LinkedIn, so I'm so excited to dig into things with you. Let me tell you guys a little bit about Leslie. She's a three-time head of sales and founder of a consulting company, Sales Team Builder. She is passionate about creating inclusive, respective sales teams to level up their profession of sales. How did you get started and become a three-time head of sales? Not once or twice, but thrice. Tell us about your journey. Yeah, I, you know, I think like a lot of people's journeys, I didn't mean to go into sales. I stumbled into it. And it's really been a roller coaster of being an individual contributor, selling products that I love, moving into management, moving back to being an individual contributor, selling something I didn't love so much. You know, I think often there's this narrative that in your career, you have to have this linear upward path. And that has not been true for me. I don't think I'm alone in that. But I started as a like straight up cold caller, 100% cold outreach, no emails, no inbound. I was making 150, 200 dials a day, um, no computer at my desk even. It was literally just a stack of paper leads and a phone. That's how I started. So to have started there and 15 years later, now to run a sales consulting company that's very focused on like the modern seller and the modern buyer, it's been an evolution. Wow. So like old school, here's your phone book, dialing. I call it dialing for dollars. So you actually started dialing for dollars. That's how you cut your teeth in sales. Smile and dial. Smile and dial. I still have people that say that today. Smile and dial. So you mentioned that you your path to where you are today it hasn't been a straight line. So you went from being an individual contributor and you said, yeah, okay, I want to go into management, but maybe this doesn't work for me. And then you also mentioned selling products that you really don't like. How did you know that this wasn't for you? What were the keys in that position that said, mm -mm, I got to go? Yeah, absolutely. You know, it's interesting. The job I'm thinking about, and I, I won't call them out, the product itself actually could have been a very, a very powerful and very useful product. But the way it was being sold just did, it felt 
icky. And what I always try to remind folks is that it's okay if it feels uncomfortable. Like that's part of trying something new and pushing gently against our boundaries and growing. But if it feels icky, like listen to your intuition. And it was a lot of those old school sales tactics of really almost being like predatory in the way they were using emotion and using fear and urgency to get the deal done. And then as a result, you had clients that regretted their purchases and were unhappy with the solution at the end of the day. So as a salesperson, or maybe even as a sales leader, how do you know the difference between uncomfortable and icky? Like, what are some of the things that you can tell them so they know? Because a lot of people are like, I don't like doing this, but it could just be because you haven't done it enough. What's the difference? Yeah, for me, it's always been a gut feeling. And I, I think that's true for a lot of people, right? Like if your intuition is telling you this is wrong, like this does not align with your value set, you're probably erring on the, the side of icky versus just uncomfortable. You know, I think one of the easiest paths to figure out, you know, where you're at on that paradigm is to just have a conversation with your manager or with your leadership about it. This feels bad because, and by talking through it, you know, I think you can get to an outcome that maybe that's not the job for you, or maybe sales isn't even the job for you, or maybe you're just going through a process of growth and it hurts a bit. Mm. So you mentioned something about selling a product that eh, didn't make you feel too great. And then customers kind of coming back and being like, give me a refund. I don't like this. What were some of the lessons that you learned in that when you were in that place, selling a product that you felt icky about customers coming back and saying you suck. <laughs> what are some of those lessons learned that you've translated into life lessons today? Yeah, that entire, I was only there for six months, uh, not surprisingly. Um, the culture was also a terrible, terrible, terrible culture. Um, the opposite of everything that I stand for, like it was actively not diverse and actively not inclusive. Their idea of culture was very much like young white men. That was their idea of culture is, you know, a bunch of people that wanted to go out and like get drunk together every night after work. That was a, a role where my direct supervisor like very aggressively verbally abused and sexually harassed me. So it was a long, long list of red flags. Maybe at the bottom of it was that the way that we were selling <laughs> didn't fit for me. So, you know, I, I think the top line lesson was to trust myself more. Like I saw those red flags along the way and I just hoped that it would be different because I was being hired as their uh, first US employee and as a head of sales and I was being given this opportunity to create my own culture. So I, I kind of tricked myself into thinking, well, if I get that ownership, I can make it something different than it is. But if it's already rotten, it's going to be pretty difficult to go in there and fix it. And at the same time, like that was probably too much for me to take on. Mm -hmm. Like I, 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 yeah, I, so I think my like big life lesson was really you need to trust your intuition more. And if it feels wrong from the beginning, don't go in thinking that like you're going to be the magic wand that can make everything better. That's unrealistic. Mm. 
I was recently working, vetting a, a client, if you will, and they had a, had a sales that was outgoing. And she was like, yeah, just talk to him, get his opinion, all these things. Thought it was quite innocent. The first thing that he said was, this company is so dysfunctional. <laughs> I was like, okay, so let's talk about these things. And really, one of the things that you said, he only lasted four months. And one of the things that you said that is so true is when you are in those situations and they're so mentally taxing, it's like you feel the abuse, you feel the, oh, I have to go to work again. Oh, I have to show up. I have to be my best self. It tends to affect your next step or what you do after that position, because it kind of hurts your self-esteem. So after you left that very toxic place, how did you kind of crawl out of that and rebuild your confidence? And no, it's not me. They were crazy. Not me. Yeah, that's a really good question because it was a journey. And honestly, Wesley, I, I think it's a journey I'm still on. Like it was, it was a really pivotal moment uh, in my career, in my life, in how I define not just what I want to do, but who I want to be while I'm doing mm -hmm. it. And it took a long time for me to build back, like a long time. Found myself back in therapy, so that helped. So grateful that I have access to mental health like that. But I was lucky enough that I took a month off. I, I mean, I quit without another job. So I had a kind of a month stop gap where I could be thoughtful and sit with it and sort of recover from some of the depression and anxiety that I was feeling as a result. During that month, I was also able to get a lot of the people I'd hired out and into new jobs because that was a real burden that I felt. I felt this responsibility for them. So I think that was the sort of first step. But, you know, I would say honestly for a full year after that, and I went to a startup after that where I also didn't have like sounding boards. So I was just sort of winging it. For a year after that, I frequently had to sit with myself to be like, no, you are good at this. You got this. And I, I kind of had to like talk myself back into believing that I was the elite sales performer and sales leader that I am. Mm, man, there's so much there that I'm going to unpack. So like taking it to the emotional <laughs> from the drunk, gosh. I, look, this is what we do here. We talk about the science of selling them. And so one of the things that I think we kind of gloss over so many times within our profession is the taxing nature that it has on our mental health. And so you mentioned, hey, I realized I needed to go to therapy. And I think that I really just want to take a moment and let people know that it's absolutely okay. If you work within a company, I would say probably 95% of the companies out there have some kind of EAP, which is a resource within the company. And you say, hey, I need a therapist. And you get three free sessions. The company, that's just a benefit that you have as an employee and it's confidential. You go, you work through the therapist. And if you don't feel comfortable with that, it's okay to seek your own therapy. There's, we have to start removing that stigma because what happens, especially when we're in these leadership positions, you mentioned you didn't have a sounding board. And so not having a sounding board, not having someone to talk to is so, so detrimental. And we don't realize the effect that it has on us long-term. It's true. I mean, I definitely felt isolated. I was definitely struggling to prioritize. I mean, I wasn't prioritizing my mental health when I was in the thick of it. And so it was, it was really something I had to be very intentional about. 
as I recovered from that time in my life. And it's why I talk about it openly because there is unfortunately a stigma around therapy, around prioritizing your mental health. I think it's important in all professions, but gosh, in a profession like sales where you're also facing rejection every single day, every day, every dang day, it is so important to give yourself that space and that permission to just admit, oh, I I think I need to take some time to rest or recharge or reach out for help so that you don't feel isolated or fall into patterns of depression or anxiety or, you know, whatever it is. And then as leaders, we have these salespeople. And I mean, I really try not to say like they're our children because some people don't like that. They're like, oh, that's kind of derogatory. But I liken it to a close loved one, even though it's in a professional realm. But when you find the best and the brightest and you say, take a bet on me, take a chance on me because people don't leave companies. They don't come to companies. They leave managers. They go to managers, right? Like you as the manager, you're interviewing them. You're convincing them. You are selling them the company. And so to then say, okay, I've taken a step back. Now these people that I brought into this toxic environment, I want to make sure that you're taken care of also. How did those people who you brought in and then helped find another path, how did that impact them as salespeople? So, you know, I'm thinking of a couple examples for the women. It was pretty rough because they saw what was happening to me with a lens that the men just weren't seeing it through. And then many of them were also being subjected to forms of sexism and sexual harassment and gender discrimination. So some of them will still reach out to me now from a place of gratitude. Like, thank you for not just leaving me there. And, you know, it's interesting because I still keep in touch with about a half a dozen. It was a big team. I ramped a team of 24 SDRs in three months. It was like, it was a pretty big team. And there's about a half a dozen of the guys that I keep in touch with. And I've often sensed like an undertone of guilt. And one of them has explicitly stated that like, he didn't realize how bad it was. And he wishes he would have done more. He wishes he, he would have said something. So it's interesting, but we were, you know, we were kind of all in it together. Like nobody was spared from this leader's wrath. And there were folks that, you know, I think to protect themselves chose the route of aligning with him. And then another group of people that chose the route of, you know, at the very least saying I'm uncomfortable and then on the far end being like, get me the heck out of here. This is toxic. Yeah, you know, and you talk about um, diversity, equity, and inclusion a lot. And I actually recently had this conversation, and it's called the bystander effect, right? And so when you are in the situation, whether you're male, you're female, you're underrepresented minority or not, a lot of times you're sitting in the room and you're seeing those aggressions, whether they're macro or micro, because people talk about microaggressions. You talking over me is not a microaggression. That is an aggression, period, (laughs) right? And really, and I say it's the small things. It's something as small as hearing your colleague being talked down to or being mansplained or whatever that is, or you can see them shrinking in their seat as somebody's talking and you say, hey, Tom, I think you went, you're a little bit out of line there, or I really agree with what Mary said. Can we let her finish her thought? Something as small as that really shows allyship and it really helps that person, that woman, that underrepresented minority know that, okay, there's somebody else speaking for me because right now I can't find my voice. 
It's so true. That's spot on. Just like plus one million to, to yeah. that comment. And I don't think that our allies always realize how big of a difference such a small action and makes. I mean, saying something as, as simple as, you know, before we move on, Tom, you know, I'd really love to give Leslie a chance to finish her thought. Like such a simple action um, that really has bigger and more meaningful implications. Yes. Yes, yes. And I had a situation in my career where I, there was a manager who was sounds probably like my manager and yours could be twins. And um, I went to HR. I was like, he doesn't respect women. This is what's happening. That's what's happening. And the HR manager told me, oh, no, Leslie, it's not that he doesn't respect women. He treats everybody like that. And I said, but why is that okay? <laughs> like, why is that okay? And then when you hear it coming from that level, you know, like, it is time to go. Like, what else can I do? Because you're making excuses for that person. So now That's I want to pivot a little bit. <laughs> Isn't that crazy? Right? Yeah. It, I mean, it, it was a similar situation. I escalated to the CEO and he told me I was just being sensitive. Yeah. Oh, we can go into a whole nother, um, oh my gosh. A whole that, nother that topic. feminine of, yeah. urge to prove yourself. Oh yes. Mm -hmm. A pivot. Yeah. A pivot. Well, maybe why don't you do this? Or is the, uh, like, no. So now let's kind of transition because that topic that we just covered is so important. Mental health, allyship, speaking up for yourself, really having someone to come alongside you when you don't have your voice. And so mm -hmm. for all of my listeners, I hope that you really got something from that very important segment. But now I want to transition a bit because you said you went from leader to individual contributor back to leader. So was that around the same time or what caused you to take a step back so that you could escalate? You know, and I'll even challenge you because I don't feel like going from leader to ind individual contributor is a step back. Ooh, I love it. I love the challenge. Now you know I'm and all about I the just, challenge. And I just like that, that entire like belief that the only way to move up in your career is to move into management. And if you move into management and realize that it's not for you, you're somehow taking a step back. Mm -hmm. Or if you are in management in one company and then find another opportunity where you love the team and the culture and the product and become an individual contributor, somehow that's not a step up, that's a step back. So I don't buy into all of that. I do <laughs> want to say that I love that. And one of the reasons that I love interviewing you amazing people is because you challenge the way that I say things or perceive things. And you're right. It's not a step back because sometimes you're doing it because I mean, let's face it. Salespeople actually do make more money than sales managers sometimes. Sometimes there's a skill you need to learn. So it's not necessarily a step back. It's a different decision. So I'm now not going to say that anymore. It is not a step back. It is a shift in your career. Okay. Keep rocking and rolling. And Tell me more about something, it. You said something really important, though, Asleen, that often sales executives, top performing sales executives make more than sales leadership. And so often when I tell folks that, that are thinking about their career pathing, it blows their minds. So like, just heads up, think about what your goals are and think about why you want to move into leadership. And if it's because of the title or because of the money, you're probably not going to love it when you get there. No, one of the biggest things that I hear from new sales managers, the ones that, you know, they're my, my special people that I love so much is I'm making less money doing more work and everybody hates me now. 
<laughs> like that is one of the things they say within their first 60 to 90 days. It's kind, it's like a, oh my gosh, what did I do? Like I was the number one salesperson. I was bringing in all the money. Everybody was loving me, but oh, that's God. So yes. it is so true. But for some people, that is what they want to do. Like, and some people want to, instead of generate the revenue themselves, they want five or 10 people to use their ideas, their coaching and generate that revenue through them. And so it's a paradigm shift, right? It is. And I went from individual contributor into sales management. And I went very early in my career into management, which you know, I, I had many jobs all through college and I'd been leading people and managing people. So it wasn't totally new, but it's a shift when it's like your first corporate job and you're, you know, a manager in that context. But I went from I see to sales manager to player coach to head of sales to being the number one employee where I was an IC. Like, I mean, I still had my own quota and my own numbers I needed to be putting on the board, but also was running the GTM and creating the MVP and hiring the team and running the team and was a sort of player coach in that role, but also in a really strategic role. And then moved to another company where I was an IC for a bit while I was learning the product before I started managing people. And then during the pandemic, we got VC back. I mean, it just turned everything upside down. And then went back into an IC role for a couple of months before I left. And now I'm sort of an individual contributor, right? Like as a founder, as a solopreneur, that's that's what I'm doing. So it, it has really been all over the place, but each role has been meaningful in its own way. And each role has like very much taught me something different and new that I, I don't think I would have gotten if I would have been so married to like the linear path forward. So what I really like about the way that you shared your experience, you didn't just say, so I went from this company and I was an individual contributor and then I became a manager. You were like, I did this because it was strategic here. I was building playbooks here and I was doing go-to-market strategy there and I was doing this and I was doing that. And we know as entrepreneurs, as consultants, that's what makes us great because we're not one dimensional. We've worn so many different hats. So if you could look back over your diverse, varied, amazing career, give me the top three things that you found most important and you're implementing into your practice today. Ooh, the top three things that I have found most important. Boundaries is probably what I'll lead with. And boundaries on so many fronts. Like I think one of the biggest light bulb moments in my career with Celine was when I admitted to myself that I wasn't as important as I wanted to pretend to be. And it came to me because I would, you know, take PTO. I've I've almost uh, exclusively worked for British companies. And then when I was at the startup, I created the comp plan. So I've always had just this aggressive amount of PTO and I take it. I love it. But for many years, like all of my 20s, I wouldn't be unavailable while I was on vacation. And I, I had this like, story going in my head that everything would fall apart if I wasn't there. They, they, you know, they just can't function without me. I have to be available. And like, I don't even know what the stopgap was, but it was this moment where I was like, if you're building a team that can't function while you're gone for a week, you're doing it wrong. Like if you're making yourself so available that if you are gone for a week, people lose it. Like that's bad. That's not good, Leslie. That's, that's not like you shouldn't be patting yourself on the back. 
for being available while on PTO. So that was like one set of like just setting better boundaries for work life, like with my clients, with my staff. I think that's been a really big pivotal one. I think understanding the difference between diversity and inclusion has been really important for me and it's been something that I've really felt. And I'm now to the point where I think diversity is table stakes. And when people are like, oh my gosh, I'm such an amazing ally because I say out loud that diversity is important. I'm like, cool, and what else? Are you doing literally any, anything else? Oh no, you, you aren't. And like how that's manifested for me is really like pushing hard on the talk track that inclusion means admitting that we have almost all of our, you know, historical sales, trainings, processes, scripts, everything is from that white male perspective. And like what they've given us some awesome stuff, but we have to acknowledge that like almost everything we've ever been trained to do was made by white men for white men. And it's time that we take up more space and it's time that we, you know, use those parameters that we know work, but put it in our own voice and use our unique perspectives and lived experiences. So that's a big one. I mean, I feel like those are two huge ones. I don't know if I have a third. Those are two huge ones. Yeah. And so boundaries, that's Another thing that I worked with these leaders on, I have a client who is literally right now in Hawaii, and I know she's going to listen to this podcast because I'm going to give it to her as an assignment. (laughs) And she is in Hawaii, and I said, okay, so how much working are you going to be doing? Oh, I just can't cut it off. Not acceptable. Not acceptable. And what I found is you have to connect it to something that matters. So she has a daughter that's four and a half years old, and I was like, you do realize this is the last vacation you're going to have before she starts school. Mm -hmm. So I want you to think about that. You don't have to think about homework. You don't have to think about any of these deadlines. Like, enjoy that, right? She's like, okay. If it falls apart, that's why I'm here working with you, actually. But you have to cut it off because if you don't, again, we talked about mental health. That leads into that piece. And then the second piece... Last year, I was presenting to some procurement departments and I started doing a lot of research on corporate sales trainers because, you know, we come in lots of different uh, varieties. There's some people that only talk to entrepreneurs, only want to work in nonprofits, but corporate sales trainers, ones talking to enterprise clients. And there are less than 10% of corporate sales trainers that are women. And there are less than 2% that are women of color. And why is that? To be a sales trainer, you have to have been in sales, right? And so in order, and so again, it's this trickle down effect that if we don't start fixing the problem at the beginning, at the start, where it is, we have to really infiltrate and help these organizations understand that what you're doing, I'm not saying that it's wrong. I'm just saying that we can be better. A client said to me this week, Wesleyan, well, what's wrong with doing it was working I said it was working okay (laughs) but now we're gonna (laughs) exactly but now we need to ramp it up a little bit right we can't if you keep doing what you've always done you're gonna keep getting the same result and so boundaries diversity and again diversity is like the I'm a cupcake person I I talk about cupcakes all the time is my analogies and diversity is like the sprinkles if you get a handful of sprinkles you're like oh that was a good sweet little treat 
That's it. That's all diversity is. <laughs> it's just the sprinkles on top. And we have to get down to the inclusiveness and then the equity. And equity, that's the area that I talk about a lot because I equity is all about systems, right? And that what we find in companies is the systems are broken for everyone, but typically male, they know how to work the system better. But mm -hmm. those of us who've never been taught or we don't have anybody teaching us or telling us what to do, a broken system hurts us a lot more. So when we fix the system, it works better for everyone, people. So again, we both talk about playbooks and processes, and these are all bits and pieces, and I'm just kind of going on and on right now. But now I want to talk about this little special gem. Again, my cupcakes, right? Cupcakes. Talking about my cupcakes. For a second, I, I thought you were going to actually pick up a cupcake just then. <laughs> I like, should have. You know what? I need a cupcake. <laughs> I need a cupcake. At my That's a good idea, Leslie. See, that's why you're this amazing person. So cupcakes. We talked from our standpoint. We've talked all about your cake. We've talked about your icing. Now I want to talk about your sprinkles and your cherry. And that's this amazing lady that I know that is all about talking about sales on TikTok. Tell me about this thing. <laughs> I mean, it's so fun. And the reason that I started creating content on TikTok was because I was really fed up. I was really dissatisfied with a lot of the content I was seeing on LinkedIn. Mm. Like it was, it was really celebrating that like hustle and grind. I wake up at 3 a.m. Like if you're not succeeding, you're not trying hard enough. And I love LinkedIn. I have an incredible community there. It's a great place. But there are some elements of toxicity that are like directly tied to completely ignoring the systemic issues mm -hmm. that might be holding somebody back. And I've had a really, I mean, I love that I have chosen sales as my profession. I love being a B2B sales professional. But it's been a tough career. Like it has been fraught with discrimination and sexism and sexual harassment. And I just, I felt like that conversation wasn't happening on LinkedIn. And I wanted to find a place to have that conversation to tell other women, other people of color in sales, like it's okay, you're not alone. Like this isn't happening to you in a silo. This is like, it's not you, it's them. And also wanted to inspire that next generation of sales professionals who might not be thinking about sales as a career choice and letting them know like, hey, your voice matters. Like we want you to join us. And also there's a boatload of money on the table. So like, come be a part of this community. And I had a thought about where that message could be best communicated. And TikTok really jumped out at me. I kind of thought I was losing my dang mind when I made the choice because it was right when there were all these discussions about TikTok being banned in the US. It was right when Clubhouse was like the new sexy thing and everybody was like breaking their ankles to run to Clubhouse. And I was like, okay, I'll just be over here making TikTok videos. Cool, see, anybody wanna stop by? But it's been just like this incredible, incredible experience. And I feel so privileged and grateful to have created a community there and to have made meaningful impact on people's lives. So it's great. I love it. It's crazy, but I love it. I commend you because I think about TikTok and I think about my 13 year old son that keeps bugging me saying, I want a TikTok account. That's what I think about TikTok. I'm like, and you're like, mm -mm, no, what? But it's like, I think it really goes back to what we were talking about. Sales is different now. 
And in order for us to embrace the difference in sales, we have to be the change that we want to see. We can't talk about, okay, y'all are doing it wrong and I'm just going to keep following right along with you. Mm -hmm. We have to be that change. So for you saying, I'm going to try something different and you have created this great follower base. And I know in the B2B sales community, you are like the TikTok queen, like TikTok, Leslie. TikTok, Leslie, like literally. And so creating a space for yourself and helping others know that it's okay, right? Because what is TikTok? It's all about videos. What happens mm -hmm. when you do videos? They're not always perfect, right? And so- They're almost always imperfect. <laughs> right, like, oh, sorry, didn't mean to say that. I love that. So you have had such a amazing career. My question to you is what is one thing that you are most excited about accomplishing? Ooh, one thing. Honestly, I would say it's a recent like moment of pride and it was having the courage to quit my corporate day job and become a full-time entrepreneur. And you know, earlier we were talking about intuition and and trusting my intuition and you know, even after all of the lessons I've learned where trusting my intuition was always the right choice, I still for like a full year put up every roadblock I could to talk myself out of like listening to the universe, listening to my gut, doing sales team builder full time. And so it, it really did take a lot of courage and like a deep belief in myself to give up that safety net of a corporate job so that I could focus 100% of my time on you know, what has been until now, like my purpose project and my passion project. So, so I'm pretty proud of myself for that. It's a big step. I mean, anybody who's gone from the corporate world into full-time entrepreneurship, this, it is scary. And I commend you for that because it's definitely not easy, especially a full-time corporate sales job. It's not like a regular nine to five, right? There is variable comp there and you're like, I'm a hundred percent betting on myself. This has been an amazing conversation, Leslie. We've talked about, I mean, all things starting with TikTok. We talked about laying boundaries, having a toxic workplace, mental health. I mean, this conversation has given me everything that I could have ever imagined. I thank you so much <laughs> for sharing your time with us. So what is the one best place that people can get in contact with you if they want to chat with you? Yeah, absolutely. Obviously, you can find me on TikTok at Sales Tips Talk, and I'm also on LinkedIn. Um, so please connect with me there. Awesome, awesome, awesome. Thank you again for sharing your time, your talent, your expertise with us. It has been an amazing conversation. Thanks so much, Leslie. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciated this conversation. And that was another episode of the science of selling STEM. Remember, in all that you do, transform your sales. Until next time. Thank you for joining us today on the Snack-Sized Sales Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, subscribe and leave us a review. Learn how to continue increasing your bottom line by getting simplified sales strategies delivered to your inbox weekly by going to www.snacksizedsales.com. Trust me, your bank account will grow and love you.